in Harrington for about two years that we Hey guys, what's up? Max here. I apologize for the air mattresses and this beautiful display in here. Uh, we're down the down the beach at the beach house and uh, it's my sister's engagement party. So uh, got a tentative office, not as cool of an office. Got a makeshift iPhone stand there, but I wanted to shoot today's video. And uh, I know one of the, the topics that is become kind of frequently asked, right? Looking at questions, what people want to know more about. Um, one of the big topics was running an agency, growing an agency, starting an agency, kind of everything agency related. Now, um, I'm not the biggest agency expert in the world. I'm sure there are people out there that are, are running bigger agencies and more experienced with agencies, but we do have a, a good amount, right? So um, we've run three agencies now. We had an agency with Kevin Harrington for about two years that we worked with 3M, Sam's Club, big companies, and um, you know worked with dozens and dozens of product companies, many of which um, we shouldn't have worked with. That's one of the things I'm going to talk about today is kind of client selection, identification, and, and, and saying no to clients and saying yes to clients. And then Unicorn's been more kind of boutique. Um, I'm going to talk about why I think the, the model we've transitioned to is the ideal model. Again, this is my opinion. It's based on experience, but still it's an opinion. Um, so we're going to cover a few things in this video. Uh, it might be a little longer, so uh, then I want to buckle in, grab a Red Bull, grab a coffee, grab some notes, and I'm sure there'll be questions after this too that I can come back and answer um, after you guys watch it. So but let's start with one of the, the bigger questions that I get, which is uh, kind of starting the agency and, and growing the agency. It's one of the, the bigger challenges that, that at least I hear from individuals. And what I think is a, um, a great way to, to start an agency is to identify a ringer, right? So when I look at our agencies that we've started and kind of our path to growth, none of them we had to do outbound marketing, right? I think if you're running an agency or really any type of, of kind of service-based business and you have to do heavy outbound marketing, uh, it changes the power dynamic, okay? And what I mean by that is if I'm cold calling and I'm reaching out to small businesses, e-com stores, whatever it might be. If I'm reaching out to them, they know I'm trying to sell them, right? They automatically know that they have the leverage. Hey, this person's calling me because they want my business, right? Totally changes the dynamic when you're negotiating, putting together a deal, trying to get them on, right? Even as they're a client, they know they still have leverage. They can leave, they can renegotiate. And so, um, so what we've tried to do is create systems where we don't have to really do outbound marketing. And there's two components to that. The first is partnering with or having a team member that is a public figure that is a kind of rainmaker, right? So a lot of companies talk about rainmakers. And so for us, that was Kevin, right? When we started Quantum with Kevin Harrington, he was that guy, right? And so what you might be asking is, well, how do you get a person like that to partner with you and start an agency? Well, interestingly enough, it's not that difficult, right? The assumption is that people like Kevin or Mark Cuban or Hershevac or O'Leary, these guys, you know, they don't need anything. They're, they have everything figured out. They're super successful. Well, not really. The, the reason that they got to where they are is because they find people that have knowledge, expertise, resources, connections, um, interests that they might not have that they can leverage to build more wealth, to build more companies, more assets, right? That's what a really smart entrepreneur does is they don't do everything themselves. They say, hey, I know I can bring in leads or I have people that ask me for this service all the time. Here's a person over here who's really good at delivering this service. Let's start an entity together. I'll channel my business in. I'll take a piece of it. 
win-win, right? And so for Kevin, that's what the case was. Kevin got tremendous deal flow. He would speak at AT&T. He would speak at 3M. He would speak at Sam's Club. He would speak at, you know, all these big corporate events around the world. And at the end of that, a lot of these companies, because he would give presentations where he talked about kind of the future of marketing and digital and business growth and stuff. And they would ask, well, can we work with you? And at the time he said no, because he was really just working with, you know, on the board, investing in startups, investing in companies, advising in that capacity, but not like a, he didn't have a service company that could fulfill services for larger companies. And so we met Kevin and we knew that we had knowledge and, and, and skills and value that we could bring to him. Right. So we saw he didn't have a huge digital presence for somebody as big as him. And we came in and said, let us grow your digital presence. Let us help you acquire leads and, and build your online brand. And we did that. And then it inevitably rolled into, well, hey, I'm getting a lot of people asking for the services. Why don't we start a JV together? We'll go 50-50 and we'll start an agency. And, and that's a win-win for all parties, right? So for us, we got to focus just on delivering services. We didn't have to worry about salespeople, outbound marketing. We didn't have to worry about putting together pitch decks and all this stuff that most agencies spend a lot of time on. We could focus 100% of our time on customer satisfaction, customer results. And Kevin would bring the leads in. He would go and speak at an event. We would give him the slides for his pitch deck. And those slides would talk about, you know, retargeting and, and all the stuff you could do with Facebook at the time. And it got people really excited. Um, and remember, these are companies that weren't doing anything, right? So if people watch this video, you're probably like, well, retargeting is obvious. These things are obvious. But for bigger companies, they don't know a lot of this stuff, right? So you do the presentation, get everyone excited. They would come up to him and ask, hey, can we work together? He'd say, yeah, I got, you know, Max and Jeremy over here. They run our agency and uh, they're able to sit down with you, right? So now the company's coming to us. They want to work with us. Well, they want to work with Kevin, right? And Kevin then delivered him to us. Um, and that gave us great leverage in negotiating. We got to put together really great deals that were very, uh, very exciting financially for us and for the company, right? It aligned our goals. So that was quantum. And that really helped us grow rapidly because we didn't have to invest in outbound. Um, and more importantly, it helped us ensure we could focus on, on delivering, like I said. And so now not everyone can get, you know, Kevin or somebody like that to partner. But what you can also do is what we've done with Unicorn is create a, a kind of baby version of that, right? I'm, I'm a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of what Kevin's, you know, where Kevin's at with his career and his, his, his recognition and stuff like that. But we focus on making kind of me that for Unicorn, right? Where I go out and I speak at events, I speak at masterminds. I, you know, I kind of put myself out there despite the fact that, you know, what, what people might think is that I, I really enjoy this and I love getting the spotlight. I really don't, right? I would rather just be behind the scenes hundred percent like I was back in quantum and building stuff out. But I realized the power of that when we were working with Kevin and we needed that for unicorn. And so that's what I've done is I've spent, I allocate a part of my time to creating value, to helping people to building a brand, to speaking at high level masterminds, going to places like War Room where it's full of you know high level businesses that wanna level up, they then come to us. We get a lot of outbound marketing, a lot of outbound, um, inbound leads, I'm sorry, we get people coming into us, we're not doing any outbound marketing. Um, and, and again, that gives us that really great dynamic um, of us not going out and selling. So I think that's something to think about with your agency. If you're starting an agency or you're in an agency right now and you're struggling to grow, is think about how you can either partner with that rainmaker 
or build and cultivate your own rainmaker. Again, doesn't have to be a massive figure, right? We've done really well with Unicorn without having somebody as high profile as Kevin, just because I've been able to speak at the right events and, and share in the right masterminds and, and do all that, right? So that then gets me to the next part, which is the the actual structure. So we talked about, you know, the Rainmaker. I think an ideal structure for an agency, and I know we're going to cover a lot of stuff in this video, is not a 100% agency. Now, it might sound strange, but a lot of the, the big agencies in our space that have the brand names that everyone's trying to work with, um, that sometimes now get a bad rap because they're growing too big, they get very bloated. They, the only way, if you're an agency, that's all you do, all your income streams are from agency, your agency services, the only way you can grow is by bringing out more clients, adding more account managers, adding more media buyers, and growing, right? That's the only way you can grow your business, if that's all you do. And so what inevitably ends up happening is the quality suffers, because if you start your agency, and it's you and maybe one or two other high-level media buyers running it, the quality is really high, right? Everyone's getting great results. They're excited because you're personally working the ad accounts. If you want to scale an agency and that's all you want to do, you have to bring on more people. You have to bring on account managers. You can no longer personally work with a client. You can no longer personally run the ads. And so every every kind of bump up you make in your agency in terms of number of clients and revenue, you have to kind of decrease the quality. I mean, you don't have to, but that's inevitably what happens um, because you just can't keep bringing on the same A-level players. Um, so what, what I think is, is a better model is a hybrid. So instead of building a, an agency, it's all you do. I like what we do, our model, right? And I'll share our model and you can take it for what it's worth. We have kind of a three-pronged business. So we have our consulting business, which we really, we've kind of maxed it out. We don't really want to grow it anymore. Um, and that's where we, we manage traffic. We run ads for real businesses. We run ads for Pat Flynn, Kevin Harrington, Zig Ziglar Estate, and, and some e-commerce stores and stuff. Um, and so those are paying consulting clients. And I'll talk about deal structure in a bit too, because we have a unique deal structure with them. Then we decided, well, hey, we can keep going, we can keep building more clients, but again, then we got to hire more people, and we got to take on you know lower quality, lower quality clients that aren't at the high level, right? Because there's only so many big, great clients out there. Or we can invest that time into building our own assets. So what we have is unicorn politics. We have unicorn wealth, which are our own properties that are content, commerce, community, kind of that, that, that kind of uh, three-pronged model that we like to talk about. Um, and that's become popular, you know, Perry Belch and Digital Market, those guys, they've really, they really spearheaded that content, commerce, community, that's where I learned it from. Um, and so those are assets that we own 100% of. We have a partner in, but like we, Unicorn and our partner, we own 100% of those and we control those. There's no client, there's no you know third party to help on calls with and stuff. These are properties that we're building. They're stores that we're building. They're lists that we're building and we're monetizing. And what's great about that is one, we have 100% control. We don't have to deal with the headaches of working with you know clients, hopping on calls, being in Slack, putting out fires all the time. We control it um, from the communication standpoint. And then two, we also get to experiment, which is great. So if you're going to be running ads for clients, you know, it's great to test things, but it's better if you can test it before you even test on a client, right? If somebody's spending a hundred, two hundred, five hundred thousand dollars a month with you, um, the last thing that they want is, is you, and they're, they come to you and they're already crushing it. It's for you to start tinkering and trying crazy stuff on their account, right? That's a, that's a surefire way to get fired really quickly. 
um, unless they come to and expect that really aggressive testing and, and, and experimenting. So if you have your own properties over here, your own stores, your own content sites, and your own ad accounts that you're funding, you can now test a lot of crazy stuff with your own money. And then, you know, most of those things are going to fail, but the crazy strategies that you find that work, now you can take those, you can bring them over here to your paying consulting clients, and you're only bringing them stuff that's already been vetted and working, which is going to get them better results, which is going to make them happier, and you're going to be doing things that nobody else is doing, which helps you with retention, right? So that's the second part of the business, is those kind of internal projects, those brands that you own. And secondly, what it also does, um, that it hit on, it becomes another income stream. It diversifies your income. It diversifies and mitigates your risk. So again, if you're just building an agency, that's all you're doing, and you keep hiring, 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 and let's say a few clients fire you, right? Maybe your biggest client leaves you. Now you have a big bloated payroll. You have a lot of overhead. And now what you have to do is you might have to go out there and take on clients that you probably shouldn't be taking on because you need the money. This is exactly what happened with Quantum, right? So I can say this because I did it. I made these mistakes. We, we, we failed this way early on, like towards the end, because we got really big. We grew really fast. And one of the mistakes we made was hiring fast, hiring fast, scaling too fast, starting to aggressively take on clients. And when you lose one or two big accounts, all of a sudden we had to start taking on smaller fish, right? 5K here, 6K here, 4K here. And now you're investing just as much time on those low ticket clients as you are on the big clients. You're spreading your time, your attention. Those clients are needy. Those clients are asking for things that you didn't sign on for. And it becomes a headache, right? And those clients usually fail. So you lose them too and they churn. And so it becomes a real nightmare. Um, so if you do it this way, which will be learned and not what we do at Unicorn, where you have just a handful of select clients that you have really unique deals with that aren't just ad spend. And I'll talk about what those deals are. And then you have other income streams over here because you have your own stores, your own content sites, your own email list that you can monetize. Now you can ha you have the luxury to not need to go out and take on clients you don't need over here on the agency side because you're not dependent on this income stream. Right? And that's really important. If you're dependent on a single income stream, you are going to have to make decisions at some point that are not in your best interest. Because if that income goes down, your lifestyle, your, your business cost, your overhead is up here now, right? It's very, very hard to trim. It's way easier to hire than it is to fire, right? Um, that's why they say you should hire slow and fire fast. Um, but it, it's, it's uh, most people do the opposite. It's very difficult to trim a bloated overhead uh, rapidly, right, when you need to. It's very easy, though, to add to it. You can jack up that overhead pretty fast. Just go to Silicon Valley and ask any of the guys out there. Um, okay. So that's the second part of the business. Our third part of the business then is our training business, right? So we have an info product business um, and this business is more a passion for us. We do it because we like doing it, like teaching. That's a passion. It creates a third income stream, right? Well, not a, th a third bucket, right? There's multiple income streams within the properties over here, um, but a third bucket of income for Unicorn. Um, it's very profitable because it's info. Um, it's recurring, which is great. So we keep building on it. It's also a great feeder into consulting, right? So we have people now that we're doing deals with on the consulting side. We're doing big equity deals with and stuff that took our course two years ago or saw me speak on a stage two, three years ago that have been following us for that time. And their business now went from, they were you know, $100,000 year business. Now they're a 10, $20 million year business and they really need help, right? That actually just happened with, there's a company called Burger I Am 
the CMO of Burger I Am, which is the fast growing burger franchise now, she um, took one of my first courses. She saw me speak at Ezra Firestone's Ecom All Stars event um, in Austin over two years ago. Been following our stuff, following our stuff. She'd been going from job to job, and then ended up as a CMO at Burger I Am. They were expanding the digital. We reconnected. Now we're talking with them. So, um, so it gives us that kind of long roadmap to build deep relationships, foster those relationships, provide value, help you know them grow from small marketers, small businesses to bigger fish. And again, most of these people down here are not going to make it to here, right? Most are going to fail just because that's, that's the law of business, right? 70% of businesses fail in 10 years, but the handful that do make it to 10 million, 20 million, 50 million that then want to level up even faster. Now we have a consulting business. So we create this business. It's all connected. It all builds on each other. It all feeds to each other. It all diversifies and mitigates risk. Um, and it allows us to, like I said, continue testing, follow our passions. So that's how we structure it. And again, that's, um, if you're thinking about structuring your agency, if you're thinking about launching an agency or running an agency right now, and you're thinking about, hey, things are not going, going great, I would highly recommend looking at some type of structure similar to that um, for, the, for the reasons I, I, I explained before you. Now, in terms of, of agency deal structure and pricing, this is a, a big topic. Um, and again, I told you it's going to be a packed video. There's going to be a lot of stuff in here, so I appreciate you guys bearing with me here. Um, so we used to, do the typical agency model, percent of ad spend, right? That's what most people do. That's pretty much every major agency. That's the way they structure it, right? It's 20% to start, and then it tears down as spend goes up. So it's 20% under 50,000, 18% to 100,000, 15% to 250, and, and so on and so forth, right? Now, I just th those numbers obviously vary depending on the client, but just it, it tears down, right? Um, the challenge with this, this really hit us. We were um, we ran all the ads for Rival Media before Agora bought them, um, which was owned you know owned by Perry Belcher, Ryan Dice, Roland Frazier of Digital Marketer. And so we were at Perry's house in Vegas, and we were talking to him. We were about three or four months into working with them. Um, we were already spending you know, a few hundred thousand a month. And what Perry said to us, which is kind of really enlightening, he said, "Hey, listen, um, here's here's I recommend some different pricing models to you guys." Um, I probably shouldn't be telling you this because I'm paying you and you're, you're my you know, vendor. Um, but he said, at some point, I don't care how good you're doing for us. At some point, we're going to be writing you a check that is, is so big that our accountant and our, our you know, CFO and our finance team is going to see that check. They're going to sign off on it. And they're going to ask questions. Hey, what are we paying this, this company for? What are they getting? What return are they getting us? Can we do it more effectively? Can we hire a team? Can we build a team? Right. Um, and so what I found with percent of ad spend, and it was a really great idea, you know, great topic. I um, mean, it, it kind of started a lot of ideas that we had is it doesn't align your goal with the client, right? So think about it this way. If you are an e-commerce business and you hire an agency to run your ads and you pay that agency on a percent of ad spend, the agency, is, their incentive financially is tied to spending your money. You as the e-commerce owner, your incentive is to be profitable, right? You want to put more cash in your pocket, right? Um, and so if the agency is spending a lot more, but they're not actually netting any more profit because let's say the, the returns go down. And so even though the spend goes up, the, the CPA goes up as well. And so the net profit stays the same. They charged you more money as the client, as the, the e-commerce owner, but you didn't actually make any more money. 
So you're actually losing money while the agency is making money. Now, that is a recipe for disaster. Um, and that is one of the top reasons why uh, clients of agencies go and look for other agencies. They get to a certain point where they're spending enough where they start reevaluating their, their options. They start thinking, hey, we're paying them 100000 a month. We could build an entire marketing team. Or we could go work with this agency that offers better, better numbers, right? It gets people thinking. And you don't want them thinking about what they could be doing with their money other than scaling with you. So what we started doing is structuring deals where goals were aligned, right? So the way I look at any deal, and this is the way I recommend that you should look at any deal as an agency owner, is how can I ensure that our financial incentives are aligned with our clients' financial incentives? So when we're winning, they're winning, everyone's happy. It creates no tension in the relationship. And so usually these deals end up being um, you know, profit share deals, they end up being some equity deals. It could be a base cash flat retainer with some equity kickers, with some profit kickers, where essentially you get a minimum guarantee. It's a flat cash rate. So the client knows that this is the max amount of cash I'm paying guaranteed. And you know you're guaranteed to get this amount of cash per month. And then anything above that is based on profit goals. It's based on ROI goals. It's based on goals that if you're hitting them, the client's making a lot more money than they were the month before with the previous agency. Um, and so that's pretty much every deal we structure now. So our deals with Pat, our deals with Harrington, Ziegler, um, they are all structured like that, right? There's a minimum guarantee that basically covers our expenses, covers our team. So we're not losing money at all on a monthly basis, but all of our upside is tied to performance. And if you're confident in what you can do, if you're confident in your skills, performance-based marketing is a great option because you can make a lot more money that route. You can get a lot more aggressive with your, your ask in terms of your comp if it's performance-based because you can set very big goals. Um, and again, that's kind of the way a lot of performance-based industries work. You look at venture capital, um, you look at kind of the investing community, a lot of it's performance-based, right? So if you're a venture capital, if you're a, a general partner at a VC fund, you get a, a small management fee, you get 2% to manage the money essentially, and then you get a percentage of the returns. And it's, a, you know, based on different multiples, you get different levels of returns. Um, so everyone wins if the fund wins. So I, I think that model for agencies is a great model. It's worked out very well for us. There's tremendous upside. The, the, set, the, the kind of final part, I don't know what number I'm on anymore. Um, and I know I'm throwing a lot at you guys. So you might have to watch this on, on half speed or go back and watch it a bunch of times. Um, there's just so much to talk about with this, this topic. Um, I'm trying to think about what I was just saying on the agency side. So the other thing it does is it, it, it changes the dynamic. If you're doing an equity deal where there's an equity kicker or even just a profit share deal, you become more of a partner than a vendor vendee relationship, right? So most agencies, the, the business owner looks like a vendor. You're in your expense to the business owner, right? Every month I got to pay you money. You're in, it's an expense. Whereas if you get in, in, you know, some options in the company or even a profit share deal where you're forming more of a partnership, partnerships, it's, are, people are a lot less likely to terminate partnerships, a lot harder to terminate partnerships than it is to fire somebody. So purely from like a nomenclature standpoint, um, it helps to, to refer to them as a partner. But especially if you can get some options or equity um, at certain goals, then you become an actual partner. And, uh, and that's where it gets really exciting. And so that's what we've done with, you know, with Pat, for example, Pat, we created a new co 
right? So we've been working with Pat for two years to develop the relationship and get him results to prove this to the point now where we've actually formed a new co that we're 50-50 partners in. That new co has different, you know, distribution schedules and, and, and all kinds of stuff. But we're partners in that, right? We're now, we're now like this. And, and that's a great place to be. I would rather have, you know, four to five deals like that where you're deep partners with massive upside, massive spend than 20 clients that are all paying, you know, three, four, five K a month that are a massive headache. So another, another thing, um, in terms of the client part. So that's kind of deal structure. The, um, so we talked about kind of the, the rainmaker, the company structure, the risk mitigation, income diversification. We've talked about the comp model comp structure. And obviously each one of these topics we've broken down much deeper and I plan to in future videos go deeper in each one of these. Um, what I think is also important with, with an agency. There's going to be two more topics to talk about, then we'll, we'll call it quits here. Um, the, the first one is saying no, right? This goes back to the power dynamic. I know it's tempting when you're getting started to say yes to everything, right? If you're making nothing, if you, if you, if you have $0 coming in or $1,000 coming in, $2,000 coming in, um, then you want to say, somebody wants to offer you three grand, five grand, two grand, whatever it is, like you want to say yes to that if you're in that position. What you need to think about is opportunity costs, okay? So you think about, hey, this person's going to pay me this month. How likely am I to get them to where I'd be really happy? And right? so that means is, that what that means is setting a number, right? So we have an, basically an opportunity uh, cost kind of number for our business, which means that when we look at an opportunity, and there's this one fly just flying around this whole time, right? I'm trying to stay focused. Um, we have a dollar number that we use as a benchmark for any opportunity we take, whether it's a consulting client, whether it's a new company we start in terms of an e-commerce store or something, whether it's a training product, it needs to make us $50,000 profit per month. That is our number, right? Um, it's taken us a while to set that number to increase it to that point. And that doesn't mean we have to make it month one. It means that we have to see a clear path that is it is possible to get to $50,000 a month in profit with this deal. So if you're looking at a client, you should have that number, right? Maybe that number for you is 10,000 a month. Maybe it's 5,000 a month. And so if that person's, let's say it's 5,000 a month and that person's paying you 1,500 a month to get started, you need to be confident that you can get that client to wherever they need to be number-wise, spend-wise to make $5,000 a month. So that's the first thing. If you can't see that path in the near term, it's a no, it's a pass, okay? Then on top of that, it should be something that you're excited about, that you're passionate about, right? You shouldn't be taking on clients that you don't believe in their product. The Harmon Brothers, for example, and the Harmon Brothers are the guys that, um, you know, that set up the, the videos, create the videos for Squatty Potty and Purple and all these big brands. Um, if you read their book, which is, it's a great book, I highly recommend it. One of the things they talk about is every person that works on the video, especially the actor in the video, needs to use the product, right? So the, the woman in the purple commercials, all those fun purple videos, she had been sleeping on purple mattresses for like two years before she was cast. And what that means is when she's on camera, she's authentic. She means what she's saying. She's not just an actress. You can feel that level of emotion. Um, I think the same thing's true if you're going to be running ads for somebody. If you're going to be doing the marketing for a business, you should genuinely believe in the business and the product. If you think the product doesn't work, if you think it's a shitty product, a sketchy product, a sketchy business, you should be saying no, 
right? You need to believe in it. If you believe in it, you're going to, one, have a lot better results because it's a great product and you believe in, and two, you're going to have more fun doing it. You're going to enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, if you're not having fun, what's the point, right? Um, so that's another barometer that we look for, right? And the third one is like, is this client going to be a time suck? Based on your initial engagements and interactions with this person, are they going to be really needy? Are they going to be texting you every day? Are they going to be Slack every day? Are they going to be calling you every day? Are they going to be nitpicking? Are they going to be every few hours checking the ad account and messaging you? And if they are, that's a no, okay? Because again, it doesn't matter how much money they're paying you. If they're going to be taking up all your time, you can't take on other clients. You can't focus on other opportunities, right? So unless that person is paying you just a a absolutely absurd amount of money that you don't need to take on any other clients and you, you can just you know, retire off that, it needs to be a no, right? Otherwise, you're just gonna be sucked into that client. And ironically, it's usually the the lowest paying clients that have the worst products that are struggling the most that are the biggest time sucks. So all the public companies we worked with, right? 3M and stuff, for example, they were the best clients communication-wise. They We had a monthly call. We had like a weekly check-in that was really quick. And even then, they kind of passed on that a few times. During the week, they didn't message us. They didn't ask for updates. They didn't care, right? That was ideal. We flew up there once. We met in their headquarters, which is one of the coolest experiences ever. Um, 3M headquarters was amazing. Um, met up there once. Had a great kind of kickoff day. We spent a day up there. Um, and then from there, we just worked, right? Same thing with Rival Media. Same thing with a lot of these big players. Pat Flynn, right? Kevin Harrington, like least needy, least hands-on because they have a lot of stuff going on. If a lot of these smaller businesses, that's everything. That store they have, that's their income. That's their rent check. That is everything they got coming in. And so they're gonna be on you. They got nothing else going on. So that's something else to think about. It's how much time is this going to take a week, a month to manage, not just run the ads, but actually manage the client. You need to value your time, right? So think about it. If they're paying, maybe it sounds like a lot of money that they're paying you 5,000 a month. But if they're taking an hour each day of your time just in communication, and then you're also spending hours a week running the ads, it doesn't sound like that great of an opportunity when you actually do the math and back out what your hourly rate is on that. So I think that's going back to just the, the point there. I think it's really important to be able to to know when to say no and to to know when to say yes when it comes to growing your agency and the type of client you work with. And then the flip side of that, it's not just about saying no or yes. Sometimes you make a mistake and sometimes you'll say yes to a client that seems great, but then you realize, you know, month two in, ooh, this is not working out. A lot of people have a hard time firing clients. They think you can't fire a client, that I need to be fired. It's not true. You should feel comfortable firing a client. It's again, just like the, the adage that you should fire fast, that applies to clients. If you see this client is the results are dismal, you can't see the path to profitability anymore, and they're taking a lot of time, you need to have a serious conversation with them. So usually what we'll do when we start with any new client, we usually tell them, hey, um, we think this is gonna be great. We think this is gonna be a winning relationship. We're all gonna make money, but we're also realistic. Sometimes when you get in there, things don't work out. So we'd like to have a you know 30 or 60 day reeval where, hey, let's agree that 30, 60 days in, we'll hop back on a call. Usually it's gonna be 60 and we'll just talk through how the relationship's going. Are we happy with everything? Are we happy with the results? Are we happy with the progress? Are we happy with the communication? And both sides share this. And what we love about this is one, it, it gives us a great timeline to start. 
So people aren't on us week one, week two, week three. We say, hey, no, we're having that, that call 60 days in, 90 days in, right? It gives us that, that schedule at that point, that, that, the date that everyone agreed to. And then it also ensures that we have this great open dialogue where both parties feel like they can be open, they can vent, they can share their frustrations, they can share their wins. And, and that's really important. So nobody's harboring anything. Nobody's building resentment for one party. And it also gives us the option basically to say, hey, it's not working out. Let's part ways. No hard feelings. And, uh, and that's helped us with a lot of relationships. And, and there's been businesses we've said we've kind of fired them. And it wasn't because, you know, they weren't a great person, a great business, which we didn't think was a great fit. And we recommended them to somebody they went to go work somebody else and they do great, right? Which is what we want. We want everyone to be successful. So I know we're at 30 minutes in. I know I covered a, a lot of stuff here um, regarding the kind of agency model. Again, this is, I know there's people in this, in, in the groups that like, you know, run very, very large agencies and I'm sure they might have different perspectives and I'd love to hear their perspectives. But I, I think we've kind of done the big agency thing and then we've done the small boutique agency thing. And I really personally love the boutique agency. I love the kind of triple model where you have agency, internal brands and assets, info where you teach all you learn. I think it's a great model. I think they all complement each other. They all help build on each other. They diversify, they mitigate risk, like I said. So that's our recommendation. That's what I'd love to do. I'm more than happy to answer questions about that. And then in the coming videos, I'll do my best to kind of dive deeper in each one of these topics. Because again, I know I talked about the, the structure of the whole business. I talked about the structure of the agency. I talked about how we do get leads in with rainmaking and, and putting our, our building a personal brand, um, pricing, deal structure. We covered a lot of stuff here. So again, let me know what you guys think in the, in the comments. We can dive deeper in this. And again, in future videos, I'll cover more stuff. Have an awesome day. I'll talk to you guys soon.